It was the spring of 1941, and William Huffman, the Reverend of Red Star Baptist Church in Cape Girardeau, was relaxing before turning in for the night. Around 9.30 that evening, the telephone rang, with the voice on the other end asking the Reverend to come a short distance out of town to perform the last rites at the site of a plane crash. A car pulled into his driveway shortly afterwards to show further Reverend to the scene of the disaster, and upon his arrival at the crash site, the Reverend Huffman would be thrust into a situation that would remain hidden from popular culture for another 50 years. Join us in this episode as we look at religious ritual, aircraft disasters, and untold secrets that wouldn't come to light until decades later, and how they became a part of the Show Me. The darkness covered the road, only being broken up by the headlights of the car that carried Reverend William Huffman out of town and towards a nearby field. The minutes and miles passed by, and after a distance of 10 to 15 miles, the car pulled into its destination. The scene was already crowded, and wreckage covered the field. Reverend Huffman exited the vehicle and noticed several small fires scattered around ignited by the debris and wreckage of the aircraft that had fallen uncontrollably from the sky. Firemen, photographers, and other men were already on the scene gathering evidence and fighting the blazes that littered the field. Sheriff Reuben Shade approached the Reverend and led him through the wreckage towards the victims of the crash. As they walked through the crash site, Huffman noticed that the debris was small and thoroughly trashed. However, one large piece of the craft remained intact. While Huffman arrived at what he was told was the site of an airplane crash, the wreckage of the craft was like no airplane that the Reverend, or any others at the crash site, had seen before. The large segment of the craft that remained was metallic in color, and apparently didn't have any seams or edges in its construction. Taking a quick peek inside the wreckage, the Reverend would see symbols unlike any that he knew of, but they reminded him of ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs. It would be near the crashed wreckage that Reverend Huffman would see two of the victims of the crash. They were clearly dead. He was rapidly informed that there was a third victim, one that was alive but near death further from the wreckage. Huffman steadied his nerves and mentally prepared himself to comfort and pray with the dying. 
But this victim, along with the two that had already passed before his arrival, were shocking in their appearance. They did not appear to be damaged like one would expect. They appeared to be only four to five feet tall and slim in build. Their eyes were large and black, their mouths small slits, and the only identifying marks of a nose were two small nostrils that lay directly on the face where a nose should be. Their heads were large, especially in comparison to their slender bodies. Huffman was unable to tell if the victims were in clothes or not, but they appeared bald, and what was either skin or a suit took on the appearance of flesh-colored, wrinkled tinfoil. Reverend Huffman took position over the dying, apparently inhuman victim, and he began to pray. As Huffman prayed for the dead and dying bodies of what appeared to be non-human entities, the military arrived on scene and took charge of the crash site. After the arrival of the armed forces and finishing his vigil over the deceased, Huffman, Sheriff Shade, and the rest of those who were working on the crash site were sworn to secrecy. Instructed to tell no one of what they had seen, the men left the crash site, and it was hoped by the military that the incident would immediately fade into obscurity, which it nearly did. Although Huffman was sworn to secrecy by the armed forces, he returned home and told his wife and children about what he had seen. A crashed flying saucer and three alien creatures who were killed in the wreck. And only after telling them about his strange experiences that night, only then did he remain silent as ordered by the military, with this strange and bizarre story remaining untold again until the 1980s. Perhaps it was the brief telling and followed silence of the incident that initially kept the alleged UFO crash outside of Cape Girardeau in 1941 out of popular culture as the most well-known of these supposed alien fender benders is the famed UFO crash outside Roswell, New Mexico in 1947, six years after the incident in Cape Girardeau, and often considered to be the first UFO crash in American history. That is, if the incident in Cape Girardeau actually happened. With Huffman telling his story to his immediate family, and then going silent on the matter, then just how did this story make its way to the public? The story of this alleged interplanetary incident reached the public through Charlotte Mann, the granddaughter of Reverend Huffman. Over the years, Charlotte had heard bits and pieces of her grandfather's story, but never really heard the whole tale, with her grandfather and grandmother refusing to discuss the story with her. In 1984, 43 years after the alleged crash, Charlotte's grandmother's health was beginning to fail. With the Reverend Huffman preceding his wife in death, and now his widow approaching her own deathbed, Charlotte convinced her grandmother to recount her grandfather's account to her, providing an origin for what would become a Cape Girardeau legend. After hearing the story, Charlotte would pass this story on to Leo Stringfield, a UFO researcher who, among others, would interview Charlotte Mann and look for additional information relating to the case. Charlotte would tell investigators that her grandfather, Reverend Huffman, 
described the aliens, or non-humans as he called them, as small framed like a child, about four feet tall, but had larger heads and longer arms than a human child. They had very large oval-shaped eyes, no noses, just holes, no lips, with a small slit for a mouth. To support the description of the alien creatures that the Reverend passed to Charlotte via her grandmother, Charlotte also described a photograph that existed, showing two police officers, or sheriff's deputies, holding one of the deceased aliens between them. Apparently, when the military took over the UFO crash site back in 1941 and swore everyone to secrecy, they missed a camera that was pocketed by one of the locals one Garland Fronabarger. Garland was a member of Hoffman's congregation at Red Star Baptist Church and made his living as a photographer, doing contract work for the Southeastern Missouri newspaper. Weeks after the event, Garland approached the Reverend and presented him with a copy of the aliens that he had managed to smuggle away from the site and keep. He made two copies, one for himself and one for the Reverend figuring that two copies of the photograph were safer for preservation and security than one sole photograph. In regards to the photograph, Charlotte would state that, I saw the picture originally from my dad, who had gotten it from my grandfather, who was a Baptist minister in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, in the spring of 41. I saw that picture and asked my grandmother at a later time. She was at my home fatally ill with cancer, so we had a frank discussion. As I recall from the picture I saw, he was about four feet tall, appeared to have no bone structure, soft looking. He had a suit on, or we assumed it was a suit, it could have been his skin, and what looked like crinkled soft aluminum foil. I recall it had very long hands, very long fingers, and I think there were three, but I cannot swear to that. Allegedly, Charlotte was not the first in her family to see the photograph other than her grandfather. She stated that she saw the photograph from her father, who gave her a look at the picture during a dinner party. Charlotte's father, Guy Huffman, offered the photograph to another photographer, a friend of his named Walter Fisk, in the first half of the 1950s as proof of the event. As from here, the photograph that was in the Huffman family possession appears to vanish. A story regarding a UFO crash and alien bodies can be difficult to believe, and extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof, which seems to be lacking in this particular case. The photograph that man claims to have seen has gone missing. Her account of the crash is not first-hand knowledge either, nor second-hand for that matter. Man's third-hand account of the tale shares the friend-of-a-friend pedigree that many urban legends have. While there have been others to support her claim, they too support it from a second-hand perspective. While there is no further information from Sheriff Reuben Shade, who passed away in 1986, there is a statement that comes from the sheriff's brother Clarence. Clarence would be reported as saying that, Yes, I heard of a spaceship, with little people back a long time ago, but never believed it. Though Clarence might not have been a believer in this story, his statement does seem to indicate that he was aware of this story before Mann went public with her version of it. 
Clarence also had no first-hand experience, only repeating the story as it was likely told to him by his brother. There may be more evidence besides second and third-hand accounts that have been passed down to support the possibility of this UFO crash. The fire department in Cape Girardeau kept excellent records in 1941 and included details such as dates, times, locations, and durations of calls that they responded to. The spring records of 1941 have a few entries that line up to being possible entries regarding this incident. There is also the statement that the military showed up on the scene fairly quickly, which can be supported with the fact that Sykeston military base was a short 50 miles away and saw an increased usage during this time period by American and British pilots, working often through private corporations as they trained for combat in Europe. There also exists another bit of evidence, a memo from the top secret majestic documents that states, Based on all available evidence collected from the recovered exhibits currently under study, are deemed extraterrestrial in nature. This conclusion was reached as a result of comparisons of artifacts from the Missouri discovery in 1941. The technology is outside the scope of U.S. science and even that of German rocket and aircraft development. While some of this evidence may seem compelling, it does remain circumstantial and there are a lot of problems with the evidence. Starting with the stories themselves, they come secondhand, or in the case of Charlotte Mann, who brought the story to a larger audience, thirdhand. There is no first-hand corroboration, and while there is a majestic memo that mentions an incident that took place in Missouri in 1941, it would go on to state that the event took place in southwestern Missouri, on the opposite side of the state. Whether or not this leaked document is valid is another concern as well, and may be problematic to the story. Then there is the issue with the photograph. It disappeared. The photograph supposedly went to Walter Fisk and was never seen again. UFO investigators have tracked Fisk down to New Mexico, but he's refused to be interviewed or discuss the matter. Credibility surrounding Fisk also appears to be problematic, as Fisk is said to have been a doctor of psychology and to have been a presidential advisor, yet no licenses or records have been found to support these claims. Then comes the question of why a minister was called in the first place. While it's a common practice for a Baptist reverend to pray with dying members of his congregation, it's safe to say that alien creatures probably weren't members of his flock or Baptists, or even Christian for that matter. So why would a Christian minister be called in to pray over the alien bodies? It just adds one more witness that would need to remain silent, and many reports mention that the Reverend was on scene to conduct last rites, a ritual that doesn't exactly appear in Baptist doctrine. There is one other problem with the testimony that reached Charlotte Mann and it creates a rather interesting paradox surrounding the military swearing those at the crash site to secrecy. Charlotte stated that Grandfather didn't know what was said to others, but he was told, This didn't happen, and you didn't see this. This is national security. It is never to be talked about again. She would follow that statement by noting that 
my grandfather was an honorable man. Being a preacher, that's all that needed to be said to him. This presents the challenge of an honorable man making a vow and immediately breaking that oath of silence that he swore to once he returned home later that very evening. The argument could be made that the vow was made under duress, but it could also be stated that the reverend wasn't as tight-lipped as he was believed to be. One interesting aspect of this story is the time at which it was said to have occurred, in the spring of 1941. Europe and the Pacific were both well into World War II at the time, with America having not yet entered the war, though they supported the Allied powers. While the alleged UFO crash at Roswell in 1941 was said to have been reverse-engineered by those in the UFO conspiracy field, it would only stand a reason that the same would have been done for the wreckage of the UFO that was claimed to have crashed near Cape Girardeau. What happened to that wreckage remains to be known, but it is interesting to imagine this wrecked UFO being gone over in an attempt to research and develop weapons to help the front lines following America's entry into the Second World War. From there, we're leaving history and myth and entering into the realms of science fiction, however. With the evidence that currently exists supporting and detracting from Charlotte Mann's tale of a crashed UFO and alien bodies in southeastern Missouri preceding World War II, there isn't enough to say that such an event happened, but I'm not here to say that it didn't. If such a crash that originated elsewhere in the galaxy occurred in the Show Me State, that would truly be a historic event. If it didn't occur, then at worst, we are left with an interesting, fun, and harmless urban legend that not only occurs in Missouri, but provides insight into just how urban legends can be born. But whether it's urban legend, science fiction, or historical fact doesn't really matter at this moment in time, as Charlotte Mann, her reverend grandfather, an alleged photograph, and a fantastic tale that is literally out of this world, would all become a part of the show me. I'm from Missouri. I am from Missouri. Show me. Show me. I am from Missouri. Show me. I'm from Missouri. Show me. This has been a presentation of the Show Me Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, then please leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, or whichever service you listen with. Contact us at theshowmepodcast.com. Find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, or leave us a voicemail at 573-203-8668. This presentation is copyright 2019, the Show Me Podcast. No part of this program may be duplicated or reproduced without the written consent of the Show Me Podcast. Music in this program is Creative Commons Media and is the property of the respective creating entity. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks for another episode of the Show Me. I'm from Missouri. I am from Missouri.
Yeah.